with us. And sometimes you'll see in front of his name, you'll see two crosses. So a priest, you put the cross after their name. Uh, but a bishop, you have a cross in front of the name. And then an archbishop, you have two crosses. So sometimes you'll see that and you'll know uh, what that means. Uh, Larry was dabbling with this idea and sort of liked the cross and decided he preferred the cross in front of his name. I don't know where he is. There he is. <laughs> Stylistically. Okay, we're still teaching Father Larry. <laughs> yes, he, you can put an asterisk in front of your name. That's fine. <laughs> Somehow that sounds fitting. <laughs> anyway, we're so glad the Archbishop Sean. We've got a chance to meet them. Uh, I think we met them originally in Rome when we were visiting in Pentecost. Uh, our good friend Russ Parker went to Bible school together. Uh, I mean, all these years ago. I don't know how many years now, Jill, but uh, they, they grew up together in their 20s, uh, early 20s, and Russ is a little older. But in any case, uh, he told us, oh, this guy's giving a lecture. You've got to go hear this guy. He's so fantastic. And we, I went to hear him. It's amazing. You know, in Rome, there's so many churches and things. We found him. We met him. And then he was so warm and friendly. And uh, we heard about some things they were doing. Of course, we went and visited with them and... and uh, it's Woking, right? But I saw, is it Guilford or Wilk? Or is it both? Woking. Woking. Yeah, yeah. Somehow we put Guilford in the... I don't know. Okay. We it's not actually Guilford. Right? But in any case, we had a chance to go uh, and, and to meet them. And uh, the relationship continues. I'm pretty sure, well, I'm certain that we're going to be walking together closer and closer with Archbishop Sean uh, in time. And, and most of you sort of heard that the last time he was here. We're just trying to figure out how all that works um, in terms of the fact that uh, we're kind of oddballs in the sense that we have a couple, uh, we have a church, an Anglican church in Vero that I serve in, but most of the churches I serve are not Anglican. They're, uh, you know, I got, we're, we're seeing a denomination come up in Tanzania, but it's not Anglican. And, and a lot of places where we go are independent churches. And we're not trying to make everybody Anglican. We're trying to help them to be better followers of Jesus. And so we don't kind of fit the normal pattern. So it's not quite so easy uh, to do, although... Uh, it's not exactly hard either. I mean, when your hearts are on the same page. So we're, we're looking for, this is another installment just to, to get a chance to hear from Sean and preach this morning, uh, uh, but uh, certainly not the last. And uh, so we're so grateful that he's here. Would you come and I want to pray for you as you minister this morning. He gave a wonderful sermon this morning at the 8. And you, if you just take about half the time, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I preach for about 10 or 15 minutes, and you just do the same. All right. Lord Jesus, you're so wonderful, and we're so grateful uh, for Sean, for Jane, for their family, for the things that you've called them to do. They're not trying to be something that they're not, and yet your hand's upon them, and you're with them. And what better credential? Uh, just like we read this morning in Paul, just to... Uh, his credential were all the suffering and all the difficulty. It wasn't a lot of glory. It was a lot of pain. Uh, but, Lord, we thank you for your presence, for your life, and we thank you for the friendship and the love, Lord, that we have and that's growing. And we pray that you would help us to put definition that as we go and to enjoy uh, a long relationship between uh, St. Andrews and myself and our priests and clergy here and Archbishop Sean and, and the things that he's doing as well. So would you continue to bless them and particularly their church, I guess, which is already met, but we pray, uh, continue to bless them even this day. Uh, bless this time. In the most wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Roman. Yeah.
I was uh, wondering, what do you want to do, or rather, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was John Wimber, out of the Vineyard Movement, who had a prayer. Probably more than one prayer. But uh, he said, Lord, help, help me to grow wise before I grow old. And wisdom is about that grace of God that enables us to live his life. And frankly, you'll find a lot of Christians who will talk about Jesus. And they'll talk about Jesus. And they'll talk about Jesus. You get you know what I'm saying? And then they'll talk about Jesus. But there's no sense of impartation as to how to know Jesus. It's a talk. And God will use just about anything. I could probably go stronger than that to get your attention. He will bring many things into your life of which you disapprove because he hates you. But he, because he is so committed in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they, or he rather in that sense, is committed to having a community that you can see on earth that reflects the very nature of God. And when I was at school, I think that was about one day, I know I did go to school, but I had a certain temperament in those days that I'm not sure I want to get rid of all of it. Um, but we would have careers lessons. I don't know if you do that over here. You would go and see a careers person and they would talk to you about what do you want to do when you leave school? And a, a priest friend of mine says, and it taught me a lot, you know, people would go in and they say, I want to do this, I want to do that. And of course, now we have computer programs. Put your information in. It tells you what you'll be ideally suited to. I simply want to say this. If Paul had put his information into a computer, he would not have come out as apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, he was the most unsuited to the task of anybody God could pick. <laughs> Gives me some hope. But if you perfectly fit and you don't need the Holy Spirit, you won't need the Holy Spirit. So in those careers lessons, we would go in and we would play around and I want to be this and I want to be that and I want to be everything else. But I've come to distill it down with my priest friend to, with this and I know this will be a, a word that for some will be difficult. I want to be a saint. Now, immediately some of you will say, well, haven't you read the New Testament? <laughs> Actually, I have. <laughs> I understand that being a saint is a position that is given to us. We are sanctified, but we need to live out that holiness. I came across a wonderful, wonderful definition of what a saint is. They took a group of school kids 
into a church with stained glass windows. And these little kids looked up and they, they said, who are the picture, who, who are the people in these windows as the light cascaded through? And they said, oh, they're the saints. They're the story of where we've all come from. And they went back to school and the parents came to join. You know what that's like when the parents, you go and see your kids active. And go, oh, yeah. No, never mind. But they asked the question, okay, kids, what did you learn today? What is a saint? And one child got up and said, that's easy. They are people who the light of Christ shines through. I want to be that. I want to be that in evangelism. Now, as you look at the lives of those who perhaps have reflected Christ to you, you don't see perfection. You see limps. I had to go to confession to a friend of mine down the telephone because on Monday, it's just the way that God has helped me. I've got a fairly clean mouth and on Monday I'm standing beside Jill at the airport in Atlanta and I let go a swear word. And she looks at me and she says, you haven't sworn for a long time. And you might say, so what? For me, that was devastating. And then she looked at me and she said, well, are you going to believe the gospel? Am I forgiven? Because I do believe the God. So the saints are not plastic. But that is our calling. And, and I, I think that as people individually and as a church, we have settled back for far too little. Not just in the power ministry, but in the knowing of Jesus. And one of the ways the Lord gets a hold of us is through temptation. Now, we can go off on all sides of this in James, but let's just come back to, to Matthew this morning. And let's assume that God actually loves you, just for a moment. I know, it's hard, isn't it? But let's just assume that all this healing stuff is right. Now, there is a God in heaven, and He doesn't need you, by the way. He's not beholden to you. But his affection and desire is deep. And what does he desire for you? He wants you to be like his son. And we all go, oh, I'll sign up for that. Until we realize <laughs> how on earth, literally, the Spirit of God moves to form us into something that is much bigger and better and godly than we ever understood. So Lent is about, yet again, God is standing amongst us this morning and said, I want to renew you. Lent's renewal. And it comes to us through the grace of repentance. Romans 2.4. See, there's a text. I am an evangelical. Call that down. I am an evangelical. Romans 2.4. It is the goodness and what? kindness of God that leads to repentance. Not, not wallop, get repented. And my experience in confession and getting forgiveness is every time I walk away, I feel, I can literally say, I feel lifted. I feel clean. I know that God in His grace has met me and said, Sean, you are forgiven. And I go, why? And He says, 
for my son's sake. That's what he came to do. Anybody know that Jesus saves? Even Christians? It's not a one-off experience. It's a lifestyle repentance. And as Mother Basilea Schlink, a Lutheran nun said, repentance, the joy filled life. Oh, it's Lent. Gotta give up chocolates. God wants my chocolate. I said in the earliest, I have no idea what God does with all those uneaten chocolates. <laughs> Not a clue. And I, I, I'll give up chocolate for Lent because I'm not, don't bother me. So I like to give up chocolate for Lent. Cheese? No. We are not giving up cheese for Lent. That would be silly. <laughs> because I'd miss it. I would feel empty. I would feel cheated. I would feel the pain of, where's my cheese? And then I remember, oh yeah, I could use that non-cheese eating time to pray. To perhaps give. To perhaps fast cheese. Now, please understand, that part of my fast will not start till I've left you. So cheese is still on. <laughs> now let's get back into the gospel. Who is it in the gospel that is tempted? And again, by the way, as C.S. Lewis said, if you've ever been tempted, praise God, you're alive. And just one little thing, I hope this helps somebody this morning because I'm lying in bed going, Lord, help me to be as charismatic as Ron. And the Lord said, certainly. Some of you need to hear this morning that your fact of being tempted, you need to hear it afresh, doesn't mean you've sinned. I think, if I'm getting this right, that needs to go burn deeply into a few this morning. Temptation is not sin. Were that to be so, Jesus would be a sinner. So in Matthew's Gospel, which comes to us out of the resurrection, as they reflect back on where they've come from a number of years later with all the persecutions and sufferings, they notice that what happens here is that temptation is part of God's formation. And today in the church, we have become cafeteria. I like this bit, God. That bit, eh. But God's not interested in cafeteria. God's interested in the full meal. And presumably, he knows best. So in Matthew 4, we notice that Jesus, following his baptism, number one, Jesus was led by the Spirit. The devil doesn't get him in the desert. The devil doesn't lead him. The Spirit of God leads him out into the desert, which has a huge ramification because for the Jewish folk, the, the desert was a place of life, of encounter with God, of provision with God. God had taken them through the desert. Do not be afraid of the desert, but don't get up one morning and say, oh, I've been in spiritual direction. I've read a new book. I think I'll go into the desert. Well, good luck, you might get a suntan. The Spirit of God 
took the Son of God into the desert for purpose. And those of you who enjoy the ministry out of IHOP and all the rest of it, Mike Bickle, Mike's got this fantastic statement. He said, the problem with most Christians today is they believe more in the devil's power to deceive than the Spirit's ability to lead. And when I'm in a counseling appointment with somebody, what I want to know behind everything that's going on and they present to me, I want to know, where's God? Where's God in this mess? And when I'm hearing confessions, which I do formally, I'm not interested in your junk. I'm not interested in your sin. I'm not, ooh. What I'm sitting there doing is I'm trying to listen to God. God, where do you want to release your forgiveness over this rubbish? We are listening for the Spirit, not for the devil, however powerful he appears to be with his minions. And so it is Jesus. This is important. It is Jesus who goes into the desert. Just like when we look at the cross in a few minutes. It's not so much that there was a crucifixion. It's not Crucifixions weren't ten a penny, but they were around. It's the who is on the cross. It's the who of the temptation. Most of us go to the temptations because we want to see us in it. Just for a moment, give yourself a break and think of Jesus and not of you. Modern Christianity in the Western world has become all about me. The Gospel's about Jesus. That's what Tommy said. Preach Jesus. Demonstrate Jesus. Show the love of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So Jesus goes into the desert and he fasts in that particular way. Now look, look with me, if you will, please. The tempter came to him and said, look at what he says, if. Now by the way, the devil's boring. There's nothing new under the sun. If you are the Son of God, what is he saying? You say, well, he just told us, Sean, if. But he's using that word like this. He's saying, Jesus, if you're Jesus, prove it. And some of us get, because our society works like that, we feel we have to prove things. You have nothing to prove. By the way, God has nothing to prove. People say, oh, well, if he did this, then I would believe. Just read the gospel. This present evil generation asks for a sign. I won't give you any. Except. And he takes you back to Jonah. Now, today if you said that, people go, I don't even know who Jonah is. But you should know. You should know why Jesus said there's the sign. If you are, then do this. Remember that terrible theological piece of writing, Jesus Christ Superstar. You might have enjoyed the show, but it was rubbish theologically. I think it was Herod who said, Prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool. Do something. And God has. 
Now that's true in many of our lives. I know it's a struggle. I'll make it personal for us with another Rotoda. If you were a real bishop, you'd have more churches. Now if that ever gets in Ron's veins and system and he really starts to believe that rubbish, he'll get more churches to prove it. But how many do you then need to prove, to prove, to prove, to prove? It's a treadmill that once you're on that spinning hamster wheel to keep changing the illustrations, you can't get off. And there's a lot of Christian ministry, and this is about the how do we minister. There is a lot of Christian ministry that is not Christian. Because it's not coming off the right motivation. That's what Tommy was saying. If we're in ministry to prove it, now you can cut this right back into the healing ministry. You'll all have stories of this. If you're a real man, then do, 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 do. It's rubbish. It may be true that some men do, 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 do. But what about men who don't? If, and the devil comes and does it three times, if, if, if. But what's he trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus onto the prove it thing. But he's behind all of that. And here's the big issue about temptation here. He is wanting Jesus to short circuit the cross. Now Jesus, for the joy set before him in Hebrews, embraces the cross. He knows the fruit of the cross and what it's going to bring. That doesn't mean that he went down the aisle to the cross outside the city wall going, Yippee! I get to be crucified. Because he's going to feel the sin of all humanity coming. He is going to take my sin. Literally, take it. And he who knew no sin became sin. This is the ultimate demonstration of the love of God. And until we cut back to the cross, we will forever be Christians with band-aid on. Now there's time for band-aid. If you're bleeding, put a band on it. But let's get to it. Let's get back to where we should be. And then we will be the saints who have an experience of crucifixion to share with others. Um, I go sometimes, not for a long time, I used to go quite a lot to churches where they would have big baptisms, one of them water things, baptismal evening. And they would, they would ask people to give their testimonies beforehand. And I go, oh no, please. And it went something like this. I used to be very, very bad and rather naughty. And I went, ooh! Which bit of bad did you do? And then I met Jesus. Yeah, and? And now in obedience to Jesus, I'm getting baptized. What a drag. Often never heard repentance mentioned. 
Just simply blandly obeying. Now, I believe in obedience, clearly. But the obedience the Lord gives to us is a wonderful thing. Not, we've got to do this. And it seemed to me that they had a lot of life, all right, poor life, bad life, sinful life, but an exciting life. And then Jesus, would you like to come forward and receive Jesus and be bored too? No, thank you. I'm out. There's something wrong in the presentation of the gospel of the fullness of life. I have come that you may have it and have it in great abundance. And then I met Jesus. Listen, if you're not excited by having met Jesus, ask Jill. She'll tell you, I've got her into more trouble since I got baptized in the Spirit than she ever knew in her life. That's exciting. Oh, I know Jesus. If, now if you look at those temptations, and I'm sure you've done many times, it's very peculiar because if we just took, say, stones to bread, what a wonderful thing to be able to do. To be able to feed everybody. And Jesus in his ministry will take bread, what will he do with it? Make more bread. He does that, I think, at least on two occasions. I'm persuaded that the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 are different. So the temptation can be to do a good thing. Because we tend to think of temptation as, I've had my first piece of chocolate, didn't have a problem with that, so I'll have the second one, naughty. Bad boy. But the temptations that you and I often struggle with come in the guise of what? Good. You wanted to tease this through? Satan himself can masquerade as what? An angel of light. We were saying, as Don led the class and Ron was talking this morning, if you have a picture of Jesus and you see kind of his body in heaven, there's no scar prints you've got a bad vision. Oh, but I'm looking at Jesus. You've got a wrong vision. No cross, no Jesus. And our modern churches tend to want to take the cross out of Christianity. And God is inviting us into a season of renewal. So these things in and of themselves may be good. We need to ask God for another gift. Not just to get the gift of discernment. Lord, where does this spirit come from? Oh, it's wonderful. It must be God. The door has opened. Now, I believe in God opening doors. I believe in God closing doors. But just because there's an open door... I remember those movies that you shouldn't watch where the baddie is running out of the building and he just about stops in time because he's opened the door and realizes if he jumps through the door, he's got boom. An open door by itself has no meaning. Are, are you, is this all right? It has no meaning. 
led by the word, led by the spirit, led by the counsel of those who know will tell you, no, you're stupid. A friend of mine was an Anglican bishop, was preaching for Opus Dei. Opus Dei are a failure. have to be polite. They're quite tough in the Catholic world. But they asked him to go and uh, do the Bible studies for him. He said, sure, I'll come. And afterwards, the bishop who was leading that group of Opus Dei at the time said, what's the difference between you and our bishops? And my friend says, well, I'm married, so I go home to Sunday lunch, and there's somebody sitting there going, don't be so stupid. (laughs) But we need that, don't we? Because we can get impressed, even with our own spirituality. Don't be so stupid. And we do love correction, don't we? Oh, well. I'm very good with it. It takes me about 35 minutes to get over it. But I will get over it. Just stand away in the moment. So here's the desert, and Jesus is tempted to fulfill ministry, doing lots of good things, Lots, incidentally, in one sense, of of doing God things, but completely cross-empty and outside of the timing of God. This is temptation. Now, there's something else that God is doing here. I'll just open it up for you. It really would take some house group discussion. What do you... I know we've... This comes off the back of the baptism of Jesus, and, and... You know, all the schoolboys, why was Jesus baptized? Because you and I know that the only person who ever lived that never needed to be baptized was Jesus. So we do that when he came to identify with sinners stuff. And we've got our explanation. But I want to add one other possibility, not because it's novel, but because when Jesus enters into the waters, oh, the waters, uh... Have we had waters before connected to desert? What do you think? Coming out of Egypt, that stuff? Have we had blood before on the lintels? Remembering, we're talking about that. Have we? Have we? It, this, is, this is a new event, but it is not unrelated to the past. And I know Russ will have done this with you. Well, I assume he has. We've all been helped by generational healing. Full stop. Okay, please hear that. But I watch some ministries go at it so hard that they are cutting people off from blessing. God has been moving for hundreds of years and he was moving in your life before you knew anything about him. If he wasn't, you could never have been saved. (laughs) That's all out of Ephesians. So in the baptism of Jesus, it is as if Jesus is saying, now look, I'm going to take all the law, all the history, that comes too in the circumcision of Christ and the part of the Christmas story. I'm going to do this and I'm going to show you how to do history right. And then what happens, I was going to say we need a lot more time, what happens is this, you are taken into the story of Christ even as he enters into your story. But the important thing is that you've been taken up into his story 
You're in his picture. Don't squeeze him into yours. Again, check that. I just want to make sure that's clear with you. God has, yeah, you can do as much American, this is big as you like. Big God. Immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. But that's true. The picture of God's story out of Ephesians is so big that even when you think you've comprehended it, you can't. Again, a priest friend of mine took a table in his service one day, not a big table, took an ant. Put the ant on the table. Guns to crawl on the table. He speaks to the ant and says, Okay, ant, tell us what the table's like. Why are we so insistent in making God in our image? It's idolatry. God has created us into His image. Maybe in Lent you want to look at the good idols that suck your life, that you bow down to, but that move you away from God. And so Jesus is showing us how it can be done. And Jesus, in exactly the same way, uh, one of, uh, part of my devotional life in Lent comes from something called the Office of Readings. And we begin that office most days with Christ the Lord has been tempted and suffered for us. Come, let us adore him. I have been caught up into the temptations of Christ. He has done it, as it were, for me. Now, you would all understand that at the level of justification by faith. Christ has died in your place, and he puts you right with the Father, and he gives you his life. And we all go, hallelujah! Well, what about the whole of his life? It's not just about the born-again experience. Vital, critical, though that is. But you all know people who would claim, I've been born again 30 years ago, and... Silence. Christ the Lord has been tempted and suffered for you. Come, let us adore him. He won! He won to this extent right at the end of this portion of the Gospel today. The devil left him. It's as if after 40 days the devil has tried to find everything to get a grip and his teeth into Jesus. And he just can't do it. Sitting in a friend's garden the other day, squirrel baffles to stop me getting to the birdhouse. No, didn't work. Squirrel's way too clever. So I said to them, go get some Vaseline. We'll have some fun. Because every time the squirrel attempts to climb the pole with new Vaseline on it, whoop, just drops off. I'm going, ha, 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 this is great fun. I've got a hatred of squirrels, by the way. But it, it, I'm not saying that when the devil came, it was like that. But there is a sense in which there was nothing that the devil could hold on to in Jesus. Unfortunately, we got plenty of stuff we'll feed the devil. What if Christ really has run the victory? What if his life in mine, it's like that old thing, when you get accusations from the devil, just send him packing. Blood of Christ, testing me the word. Job done. 
Actually, it's not quite job done because most of us know it's hard to stand there and go. <laughs> but I'm not moving off the ground of Scripture. I may have to wait for that siege to break. Then the devil left him for a season, but he'll be back. Christ the Lord has been tempted and suffered for us. Come, let us adore him. We need, as Christians, and I know this is a huge subject and pastoral, I want to be very sensitive. There is no way to be a Christian without embracing godly suffering. Even in America. You see, so much of us have learnt a wrong model of healing. We believe that healing is the absence of pain. That's not healing. It's nice. <laughs> don't particularly want to walk around in pain, but that's not healing. Healing is not the absence of temptation even linked to your past. What you do with it. And finding the victorious Christ in the midst of it strengthens us and grows us. And that which is true personally usually is true for churches. I was particularly, if I may, and you know, I hadn't heard Francis and Judas since 19, probably 1986. <laughs> And they also came to the UK, but the last time I heard them, I think, was Anaheim, California, with John Wimber. But I've been impressed by the stories of that which Francis said no to, which sure would advance the ministry, except God said, don't touch that. And we get caught up in the world that wants ministry to be impressive. So ministry is servant-hearted. Ministry is never, ever to prove a thing. God is not on trial. How do you know, Sean, that God loves you? What do you want? It was the Baptist preacher back in the UK, C.H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon was considered the prince of preachers in the UK. He went to a, a, a service one night and he was, oh man, he said the preacher who should have been preaching wasn't there and the preacher who was preaching shouldn't have been preaching. And he ended the service with this quote. The preacher got so frustrated, he said, I didn't know what to do, and there was a cross in this Baptist church. So I said, look, you fool, any fool can look. And Spurgeon said, I did, and I was. I was converted to Christ because I saw the cross. So as we enter into Lent, we will... Go into a garden. That's interesting, isn't it? Genesis 3, the garden. The night before a crucifixion, a garden. And, and I, when I look at that text, I cannot but help feel, Father, 
If it be possible, take this cup from me. But of course it wasn't. If there's any other plan B, let's have it tonight, please. There wasn't. And Jesus went through that temptation alone in that sense. The rest had a sleep. Jesus won the kingdom. He comes out, they go into the Kidron Valley and they would have sung something like Psalm 118. And the only reason Jesus goes to the cross in this sense, he goes when he's good and ready. The devil doesn't take him there. He goes when he's good and ready. John's Gospel tells you that page by page by page, i.e. God's in charge. And learning to put your life again and again and again into the hands of God daily. Good luck, folks. (laughs) We'll pray for you, but it's a struggle. It really is a struggle, but that's the wrestle of faith. So in the words of a Polish nun, Jesus, I trust you. You have trusted God, I trust, for your salvation. I trust you've trusted Jesus for receiving the baptism in the Spirit. And Monday's coming. That's where we live. Jesus, I trust you. So the devil leaves for a season. Ultimately, there is coming a day, and we must look to the future. There is coming a day. I don't know how this feels. I haven't done this bit yet. But in the newness of the body that God has prepared for us, and the devil and his henchmen, picked up by God, and cast away forever. And that sin that you wrestle with this Lent will be no more. Lent points us to a future that links us back to Advent. Oh my. It's as if, as if, we haven't got started. But we will. Of course we've got started. So brothers and sisters, as you enter Lent, avail yourself of the gift of repentance much. God waits and longs to be merciful to you. And mercy means, in part, God is not going to give you something. He's not going to give you what you deserve. Yes. The mercy of Jesus stops you getting what you should have had. And instead, you get something a little bit more. I just want to finish this this morning for a moment, quietly. Reminding some of you that you need to, I think, 
yet unknotted from sin and temptation. We'll use this one. And please, if this doesn't work for you, I don't mean pragmatically, but you just don't like looking at crosses, find something else that will help you. But I can't think of a more wonderful, scandalous event in all of history that has changed everything forever than the love of our God expressed in this moment. Our Lord Jesus in Lent is inviting you to prepare to celebrate Holy Week. Foot washing, communion, emptiness on the Saturday following the crucifixion, just silence. But we won't, we'll be too busy to be silent with the Lord. And then into the fire of Easter, the renewal of our baptismal promises. This is his renewal. A renewal led of the Spirit. And I'm just going to stand here for a moment or two in quietness. You can close your eyes or, or just stare at the cross. And somewhere, would you utter a really simple word? Yes. And if you find you can't, don't say it. But note that. That's good. We'll wrestle that one down too. God has spoken. It was there by faith I received my sight and now
Thank you, Lord.